your Bibles again this morning, please, and turn to the book of James, and we find ourselves in the fifth chapter as we're closing in on the finish line of this particular study we're calling Practical Christian Living, James chapter 5. According to something that I read this past week, the Bible contains more than 500 references to prayer and almost 500 references to faith, but there are more than 2,000 references to money and possessions. Now, I find that quite interesting. 500 for faith, 500 for prayer, but more than 2,000 for money and possessions. It said out of the 38 parables that Jesus told in the Gospels, 16 deal with how we handle our money. It said that Jesus said more about money and possessions than about heaven and hell. One out of every ten verses in the Gospels deals with money and possessions. That's 288 verses in the four Gospels. Think about that. And it said, and I agree, the way we handle our money is perhaps the truest indicator of the spiritual condition of our heart. Now think about that. A close look into our checkbooks and our bank statements will show where we really are spiritually. And what, what, what do we have though today? We have a lot of people want to be rich. A lot of people want to have a lot of money. We forget the wise counsel of one of my favorite uh, characters from church history, Evangelist Dion Moody. He said, getting riches brings care, keeping them brings trouble, abusing them brings guilt, and losing them brings sorrow. It is a great mistake to make so much of riches as we do. Now, I need to tell you, beloved, that uh, it's true the Bible does not condemn being rich. In fact, we find that godly people are rich in the Scripture. I can give you two examples right off the bat. We have Abraham, who was a wealthy man. We have Job, who was a wealthy man. The Bible does not condemn making money honestly. It does not condemn saving money wisely. It does not condemn investing for the future or providing for our families. In fact, the Bible tells us to do all those things, to save and to be wise and to spend and do those sorts of things. But the Bible does warn us about riches. And it warns us about loving money. And it warns us about desiring to be rich, to have lots and lots of money. In fact, jot these references down. I'm not going to display them, but I'll just read them for you. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 says, But those who desire to be rich, those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And you know what? If we are rich, and by the way, i just got to remind you today, all of us here, we're rich. You say, well, I, you don't know my neighbor. You don't know my boss. Now, wait a minute now. I'm not talking about American standards. I'm talking about worldwide. Every person in this room, on a world scale, we are filthy rich. In fact, I gave you a site. You can go look it up there on that uh, insight there, on that uh, insert. You can go and you don't have to put any personal information. You just go in there and put in how much money you make. You don't put anything else and click the button. It'll show you where you stack up. And probably a lot of us in here, we're in the top 1% or greater of rich people in this world. Wow. And here's what the Bible says to us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. 1 Timothy 6, 17, Command those who are rich in this present age... Not to be haughty, not to be proud, nor to trust in uncertain riches, 
but in the living God, listen, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And so if God has blessed you and God has blessed us, we don't have to hang our heads, heads in shame and say, oh, woe is me. Uh, you know, I'm rich, I'm wealthy. No, we, we need to praise God and be humble and not trust those things, but uh, we're to use those things for His glory. The Bible also says, says, says that we're not to be covetous. We're not to envy and covet. Drop this reference down. Luke twelve fifteen. The Lord Jesus says in Luke twelve fifteen, He said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And so we've got to be careful about coveting and uh, wanting what others have. You know, prosperity is probably a greater test, a more difficult challenge to us than adversity. Prosperity is probably a greater test than adversity. We struggle with our prosperity in America, in America especially. And two words, I believe, prove my point quite well. When you think about America, there's a lot of talk today about at least two words, and those words are dieting and decluttering. (laughs) Dieting and decluttering. We have an overabundance of food and stuff, and the overabundance of food and stuff leads to what? Big bellies and bulging closets. And so we have a world that we're talking about in our nation about dieting constantly, decluttering. But this is not a new problem. Quite from it, quite uh, um, interestingly, James addresses the rich in our passage today. And he uses some very, very strong language when he gets to this portion. And we need to ask the question, of course, who are the rich being talked about here? And um, it appears that he's addressing those outside the church, those who are the unbelieving rich. Uh, But why would he write to the believers here in the book of James about those outside the church, those who are evil and wealthy? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, it would help these believers not to envy the rich as they look out at all those with superabundance because many of these people are truly poor. And when we mean poor, we mean really poor. And it would help them to realize that uh, we don't need to envy those that are rich outside the church. Secondly, it would encourage them to endure hardness when they might personally suffer at the hands of those who were rich and evil. And thirdly, there are, of course, lessons for all of us to glean here, regardless of how well off or how poor we may be. There are lessons for us here. So I want to read James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, and we'll talk about it a little bit, then we'll pray. And that will we'll be done. James chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich. Listen up. Pay attention. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. These are encouraging words, aren't they? These are strong words. You've heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You've lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You've fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned. You've murdered the just. He does not resist you. That's some strong words right there. I mean, very, very strong words. James Merritt noted, noted that the people's problem 
was not that they had money in their hands. That wasn't the problem. The problem was they had money in their hearts. You know, I think before diving into James and unpacking those verses, it'd be helpful to listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 and verse 24, the Lord Jesus had this to say, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you look at James, he's talking about what? Corroded uh, riches and moth-eaten. You know, these things are deteriorating. They're being destroyed. And then Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, these words, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot serve God and mammon. And these rich people have made their choice. They chose money over God. And James lays out for them the terrible truth uh, here that was theirs. He says there in verse 1 that they are to weep and howl. Cry out. Why? Weep and howl. Why? For your miseries are coming upon you. This is one reason we believe these are lost people because he tells them to weep and howl, cry aloud, judgment is coming. Misery is coming. Terrible days are coming. They trusted in their wealth and their wealth had failed them. In fact, notice several things about their riches. Notice, first of all, their riches were spoiled. Verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 says that their riches were corrupted or corroded. It can be translated from the Greek that they were rotten. They were rotted. And it probably refers to the grain that they had. And the grain had gone bad. You know, riches in this time would include several things. It would include, of course, grain. It would include garments. And it would include gold and silver. And we find those things being mentioned here. The grain had spoiled. They didn't use it. They didn't share it. And so it rotted away. It says their garments, their clothing, were moth-eaten. Now, I don't think it was the ones they were wearing that day. It wasn't their you know, Armani suit or anything. It was all the clothes they had back in the closet that they didn't have time to wear, didn't have more clothes than they could wear, and so the moths came in and destroyed their garments. And it says their gold and silver, they were corroded. They'd heaped up all these treasures, it says, for the last days. But how would that profit them in the day of judgment? Rather than benefiting these rich people, it would actually testify against them. There was no thought for the poor, no thought for the needy, no thought for anyone but themselves. They uh, kept their riches until they rotted rather than sharing them with others and blessing others, hoarding money. I read an interesting quote this past week and it, it was just one of those slightly upside of the head quotes. I mean, I just, it was just so startling, especially where we live. And somebody said it this way, money is like manure. Money is like manure. You pile it up and it stinks, but when you spread it around, it makes things grow. That's an interesting way of thinking about money, isn't it? Hoarding money, it stinks. When you spread it around, it makes things go. And so their riches were spoiled. Secondly, their ways were crooked, verses 4 and 6. They had mistreated those who worked for them. Look at verse 4. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord. They had defrauded those there that were working for them. And these poor people couldn't do anything but cry out to the Lord. You know, the Bible's clear on this. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13. 
Leviticus 19.13, You shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You're to pay right away. You know, they had a, a really living from paycheck to paycheck there. They were surviving by getting work that day and, and buying bread that night, if you will. Deuteronomy 24, 14 and 15. Deuteronomy 24, 14 and 15. You shall not oppress a hired servant who's poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages. And let not the sun go down. For if he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out, watch this, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be sin to you. And what do we have going on here in James? That's what happens. They kept back the wages by fraud and cheated and they mistreated their workers and the workers couldn't do anything else but cry out to God. And God comes along and says, you rich, you better weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. You see, the love of money was so great that it led these evil rich people to defraud and cheat the poor. In fact, it gets even worse in verse 6. It says in verse 6, you condemn, you've murdered the just. He does not resist you. They'd use their money and their power to condemn and even lead to the death of those who were unable to resist, the poor and the innocent. Their riches were spoiled. Their ways were crooked. And notice, if you will, next, that their lives were indulgent. Verse 5. Their lives were indulgent. Verse 5 says, You've lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You fatten your hearts as in a day of slaughter. The message renders that very interesting. The message puts it this way, You've looted the earth and lived it up, but all you have to show for it is a fatter than usual corpse. Hmm. The Lord likens these people to animals that are fattened for slaughter. Think about a chicken or a turkey or a cow and they're living happily. We'll, we'll make it a nicer place. But they're living happily on a farm. They're not in the house. They're out in the farm. They're not in the chicken house. They're out in the farm. And they're eating good food. And they're drinking crystal clear water. They don't have a care of the world. They're just out there clucking around and out there moving it up, you know. They're just out there living life and having a great, great time. And everything seems so wonderful and pleasurable. But what's really going on? Well, the farmer's fattening them up because Thanksgiving's coming. It's almost time to go to the slaughterhouse and get some steak. It's almost time to fire up the barbecue and get some chicken going. They're being prepared for the dinner table. They're being prepared for the loss of life. And he says, you rich people, you're just like that. You're just being fattened up for the day of judgment. You're living high on the hog here, but actually you're headed for destruction. They have the best of everything now, but they're actually without Christ and headed to hell. Because remember, I told you, there's nothing wrong with being rich. But these people were rich without Christ. They didn't care about Christ. They didn't care about others. They cared about their money. Now, because... They're rich, mind you. A person doesn't go to hell because they're rich any more than a person goes to heaven because they're poor. You understand that, don't you? A person goes to heaven because they've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, no matter what they are, rich, poor, whatever. And a person goes to hell because they've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how much money they have or don't have. And so you get the gist of this passage here. You have these evil, wicked Rich people, 
glorying in their riches and their comfort. And God comes along and says, listen, there's misery coming. There's judgment coming because you are living just like an animal, fattening yourself up for the day of slaughter, for the day of judgment, because you're living, worshiping gold rather than God. Now, we have the gist of the passage, I think, don't we? And now we come to the so what and now what of the message. The so what and the now what. In other words, what do we take away from these six verses for our lives today living in 2018? Well, I think there are two or three lessons I want to leave with you today. Number one, we need to remember that judgment is coming. We need to remember that judgment is coming. Now, this is true for one who is a Christian and one who is not a Christian. The unbeliever is going to have a horrible judgment at a place called the Great White Throne. You can read about it in Revelation. At the Great White Throne, it says the dead will be raised. They'll stand before God and the books will be opened and they'll be judged. And their life will be reviewed and they'll be cast at the end of it into the lake of fire, into hell, where they will spend eternity. Matthew chapter 8, verse 36 says this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You can have everything this world has to offer. You can be the richest person in all the earth and have everything you ever want. Beloved, if you do not have Jesus Christ, what good will all that do for you? You know, I'm sure you've noticed there's a section in the newspaper every week, every day, called the obituary section. You may check it to see if you're there or not as the paper comes day by day. But unless the Lord Jesus Christ raptures us out of here first, there's coming a day where you're, well, if your family likes you enough to pay to put it in there, you're going to be in there. But there's coming a day where you're going to be in the obituary section. And it won't matter if you had $10 or $10 million. It won't matter if you had the nicest house in all the world or you had a very humble home. It won't matter if you ate bologna or you ate steak. What's going to matter is that there came a point in your life where you realize you're a sinner without the Lord Jesus Christ headed for a devil's hell and you say, you know what, I'm wrong. God loves me. And you cried out for salvation. And you said, woe is me, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and save me, Lord Jesus. That's what's going to matter on that day. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for the believer. But for the unbeliever, they're going to lift up their eyes in hell. And then they will stand at the great white throne judgment later. They'll be judged and cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. So I've got to ask you today, not worried about if you've got lots of money or not or where you live or how you're dressed. Do you know Jesus Christ? Is He your Lord and Savior? Are you living for things and possessions and power and position and all these things? Or are you living your life for Christ? Because if you're not saved, listen, a million years from now, it won't matter how big your bank account was. You'll be in hell. So come to faith in Christ today. Now, judgment is coming as well for the believer. And it's not about salvation. Can I just tell you some good news? The moment you trust Jesus Christ, 
as your Lord and Savior, you're saved forever. That's settled at the cross. The Bible says you have eternal life and it says there's there, there is therefore now no condemnation. So we're going to stand at what's called the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat of Christ is not about salvation. That's already settled forever at the cross. This is about rewards. The Bible says that we're going to have our works tested. Two kinds of works. Wood, hay, and stubble. Gold, silver, and precious stones. They'll be put to the fire, the refining fire. And of course, you know, you put those things there, the wood, hay, and stubble are going to burn up. And if those things are there and they remain, we'll be rewarded. We'll have rewards. And I believe, of course, that those rewards, when we receive them, will be cast at the feet of the Lord Jesus, who alone is worthy. But I, I'm pretty certain that part of our time at the judgment seat of Christ is going to be spent reviewing what we did, what God gave us, how we spent our time, our resources, our money, our possessions. And so it's important to remember that judgment is coming. And so whether we find ourselves poor or rich or, or somewhere in between, God has blessed us and God is going to call us to account. Which brings me to the second lesson, and that is this. We need to surrender our resources to the Lord. You know, they're His anyway. You knew that, I hope. We don't own anything. God owns us, and God owns all the stuff He's given to us. The Bible likens us to stewards. We don't think about that, but it's the idea of being a manager. And so one of the great steps you can take in your Christian life that will bring, I believe, joy and peace to your life, because I know from personal experience, is we need to surrender everything that we have and come to the Lord and literally say, Lord, here they are. Here's my money, my house, my car, my stocks, my bonds, my retirement account. Everything is yours. My family is yours. Everything is yours. I acknowledge that it's yours, O oh God. I surrender to your Lordship. I need to do that for my own sake, so I remember that, that it's not mine, it's His. And then ask Him as you're saying, Lord, I want to use what you've given to me for your glory. And by the way, we read earlier, didn't we, that all these things are given to us to richly enjoy. So God is not out to make our lives miserable. God has blessed us tremendously. But God does not want us to trust in those things. God does not want us to glory in those things. And God does not want us to be selfish and self-centered with the resources that He's given to us. Now, if you were to come after the service and say, well, preacher, I want, to, I want you to help me. I want, I want to ask you this question, preacher. Um, how much should I give and how much should I keep of what God has given to me? And I'll be honest with you, I can't answer that. That's between you and the Lord. I would give you this counsel. You need to start with the tithe. Give 10% of what God has given to you, to His church. But beyond that, that's between you and God. God may call you to live a very sacrificial life. God may call you to do something different. That's between you and the Lord. That's where you go and you pray and you take those things to the Lord. And so I have to say to you, I can't answer that. That's between you and God. I would encourage you, based upon the Scripture, to begin with a tithe, your tithe. You want to give offerings above that, you, you seek the Lord in that. And so the point is we need to surrender our resources to the Lord and say, Lord, all of this is yours. So when you get in the car this afternoon to go home in just a few minutes, would you remember that's the Lord's car? And when you walk in that house that you live in, that's the Lord's house. And when you eat that meal this afternoon, that's the Lord's food. 
And when you change out of these clothes to the next set of clothes, those are God's clothes. He's given them to you because he loves you. We parents understand that, don't we? Our children have all kinds of stuff, but they really don't have anything. It's all ours. By the way, it's ours, Dave. It's ours. We let you have it. We let you use it. We'll take it from you, though, if you mess up right now. But here's the point. It's not even ours. It's all the Lord's. Have you ever surrendered that to the Lord? Have you ever said, Lord? By the way, it's a great stress reliever, too. Because what did old evangelists, you know, keeping riches, it brings a worry and stress and sorrow. And the more you have, the more you've got to keep up with. And, and you get worried about it. You fret about it. Who's going to rob it and steal it? You say, God, it's yours. I'm just a manager. I'm just a steward. Third lesson. We need to live with open hands. This picture helped me tremendously years ago when I first heard it. Perhaps it would help you as well. We need to live with open hands before the Lord. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, I mean this. Our hands are open to God. And by the way, if your hand is open to God, God can put whatever He wants to in your hand. If you leave that hand open, God can take whatever He wants from your hand. Now, God's a good God, and when you leave your hands open, it's amazing how God will bless you. But when I leave my hands up for the Lord and say, Lord, it's all yours. I live with open hands. You give and you take as you desire. Because what happens is a lot of times, what happens is God blesses us. And what do we do? We close our hands. We look at this. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. No, it's not. God, it's yours. It's yours. I learned another picture this week of this. It was really helpful. And I like this one, too. It really helped me. It talks about the fact that we need to be a funnel and not a sponge. That's some deep theological truth there, isn't it? Are you a funnel or a sponge? <laughs> well, what I mean by that is this. Think about a funnel. We don't use funnels maybe as much as we used to in days gone by. We used to change the oil and do those sorts of things more and more. A lot of that's done by other people and whatnot. But a funnel, remember? You were real fancy. You got that lawnmower, that first... When it was new, you used a funnel. You didn't want to get any gas on the paint. You didn't want to... When it's old, you don't, can't even find the funnel. You just dump the gas everywhere. But anyway, a funnel is what? A funnel funnels it down and it flows through. What's a sponge do? It sucks it up. It's kind of a picture. God wants us to be funnels. He wants to bless. He wants to use our life. He wants to use us in a special way. And if God can trust us, we can be a funnel of God's blessing. But a lot of times we're like the sponge. We just suck it all up. And we don't pass it along. What's the lesson today, beloved? I think that it's this. God has blessed us. God has given us all these things richly to enjoy. I'm thankful for God's blessing. Man, I'm thankful today that we're in a side, a building. It's air-conditioned. You're sitting on padded pews. It's a beautiful thing God has given us. This is His. This is not the main focus. But God has blessed us. God has given us this building and this campus and these resources. God has given us all these things to richly enjoy. But He desires, listen, for us to trust Him and not all these things. You know, we're reminded all the time, aren't we? We get our, our money out and we never look at it, but you get your, your billfold out and you pull out that money. I'm not going to pull out but a one. Okay, I don't pull anything but a one. Ah, just kidding. But what does it say on the dollar bill? In God we trust. Right? People want to get rid of that. They don't like that. 
They're not interested in that. Why? Well, they don't know God. They hate God, a lot of them. But the matter is, it's interesting. I find it very interesting. Even on the very currency that we have here in America, if we ever take time to look at it, it reminds us, listen, we don't trust in this. Gabe was hoping I was going to drop that. It's going to pounce. We don't trust in this. What do we trust in? We trust in God. And it's on there. In God, we trust. And that's the point. Don't trust in the stuff. Don't trust in the gifts. Trust in the giver. Trust in God. So I want to encourage you today to be a funnel. Be a funnel and not a sponge. Father, thank you for the lessons that you've taught us here in your word. Lord, we know that it's not a matter of these people being rich or poor, and if these rich people here in this passage at any point turn from their faith in money to faith in God, they're in heaven with you right now. I pray if anybody here does not know you as Lord and Savior, this will be the hour, this will be the time where they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as believers to really, really, really surrender what you've given to us for your honor and glory. Lord, you don't need any of this stuff. It's already yours anyway. But you need us to be obedient and trusting and to be conduits of blessing for others. So, Father, take charge of this invitation and you be praised and glorified and have your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is 312. The altar is open. Maybe today you need to come and surrender. Just come and pray and say, Lord, all that I am, all that I have is yours.